0: During the reigns of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness, and God's kingdom will stand forever. Welcome to the end. Many ask the question, will Satan ever get full control over the whole world? Well, the answer to that question is actually yes. But the way that he comes about that control might surprise you. Let's look at what the Bible has to say about the millennium, the 1,000-year prophecy. This prophecy begins in Revelation chapter 19 and continues through chapter 20. So we will pick it up where it starts right here in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11. The Bible says, I saw heaven open and behold, a white horse, And he that sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. When you go down to verse 13, the Bible says that this person was clothed with a clothing dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The very first thing that we see right here is heaven is open. And Jesus is leaving heaven. Well, where is he heading and who is coming with him? In verse 14, the Bible says, The armies which were in heaven followed him on white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. This is the armies, the angels of heaven. They are leaving heaven, but where are they going? If we go down to verse 19, and we're, we're skipping through this fairly quickly, what I want you to do is read Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, through Revelation chapter 20 for your homework. Alright, if you don't have a Bible in your home, just look it up on the internet, you will soon find it right there. In verse 19 it says, I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse. Clearly, this is the return of Christ. Jesus is coming back to this earth. The Bible describes this return as being with power and great glory. And as Jesus comes back to this earth, something very interesting happens, particularly when we come down to chapter 20 and verse 1. The prophecy continues without a break. And it says, and I saw an angel come down from heaven. The Bible describes the return of Christ. And then this angel comes down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, the old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him that he would deceive the nations no more until the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be set free for a short period of time. This thousand years is the subject of our study this evening. And as we begin this subject, we're going to look at events at the beginning of the thousand years, events during the thousand years, and then events at the end of the thousand years. But most importantly, we are going to discover the purpose for the 1000 year period. And of course, we're going to find out what happens to Satan during this time. The first thing that we need to notice in relationship to the thousand years is that the Bible teaches that there are two resurrections. Let's read that. We find it uh, referenced in John, the gospel of John. We'll flick over to John chapter five very quickly. John chapter five, verse 28 and 29. Jesus says, do not marvel at this. For the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves will hear his voice, and they will come forth, those that have done good to the resurrection of life, and those that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. The first thing that we note right here is that the Bible speaks about two resurrections, the resurrection of life and the resurrection of damnation. Out of those two resurrections, we need to find out Which one happens first? And the answer to that is found in Revelation chapter 20 here in this prophecy about the 1000 year period. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 6 where the Bible says, Blessed and holy is he that has part or has a part in the first Resurrection. If you've got a first resurrection, clearly you've got a second resurrection. And the first resurrection is the resurrection of righteousness. The resurrection of the righteous that we just read about. Well, what about the other resurrection? The Bible says, but in contrast to that, the rest of the dead. Well, who are the rest of the dead? That's clearly the evil people. The rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished, And so simply what you have, if you want a marker at the beginning of the thousand years and a marker at the end of the thousand years, the two markers that the Bible gives to you are the two resurrections. One resurrection at either end. And it begins, of course, with the resurrection of the righteous. Now, when Jesus returns, there are going to be four groups of people here on this earth. We're going to look at what happens to each group of people. When Jesus returns, there will be the righteous who are living, and there will be the righteous who are dead. There will be the wicked who are living, and there will be the wicked who are dead. We need to find out what happens to these people when Jesus comes back. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16, where the Bible says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout With the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Notice that the resurrection of the righteous is the first resurrection. It then goes on to say, then we which are alive and remain. Now there's a life goal for all of us to live through until the return of Christ shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we will ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, or because of this, comfort one another with these words. And what a comfort they are, the promise of the resurrection and the promise of being caught up to meet Jesus in the air. Well, the question is, here we find what happens to the righteous who are living and the righteous who are dead. The righteous who are dead, when Jesus comes back, the Bible says, are resurrected. And the righteous who are living join the resurrected righteous who were dead in meeting Jesus in the air. Well, where does Jesus take us once he meets us in the air? The answer to that is found in the Gospel of John. And if we go over to the Gospel of John, John chapter 14, we can read right here. A statement that Jesus makes, well John chapter 13 is where we will start, that puzzles his disciples. He says, little children, for yet just a short time I'm going to be with you. You will look for me. And as I said to the Jews, where I go, you cannot come. So now I'm saying to you. You can imagine his disciples would be gutted with this news. Jesus was going away and they did not know where He was going. They wanted to be with him wherever he went. And we move down a little bit further. You have Peter's reaction because, well, Peter always reacted. Peter said to him, Lord, where do you go? And Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me in the future. Here, Jesus says, I'm going away. And we all know where Jesus was going. He was going back to heaven. He says to his disciples, you can't come with me now. But then he gives them the promise. Where I am going, you will go in the future. And then he builds on that promise. And notice what he says in chapter 14, verse 1. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't stress out over this. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house. Well, where is that? That's in heaven. In my Father's house in heaven, Are many mansions. And if it was not so, I would have told you. I go, he's going to heaven, to prepare a place for you. Where is he preparing that place? In heaven. And if I go to heaven and prepare a place for you in heaven, I will come again to this earth and receive you unto myself that where I am in heaven There you may be also. And this is why the Bible describes in Revelation chapter 19, the voice of much people in heaven singing and giving praises and honor and glory to God. Because the Bible says that when Jesus comes back to this earth and when Jesus raises the dead back to life, he is here to take the righteous to heaven to be with him. And so now we know what happens to the righteous who are living and the righteous who are dead. When Jesus returns, they all end up alive and in heaven with Jesus Christ. Now let's go over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And let's find out what happens to the righteous, to the wicked who are alive. In verse 7, it says, To you who are troubled, rest with us. The Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those that know not God and that do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. The Bible has some very serious language about the wicked who are alive when Jesus comes back. The Bible simply says that they will be destroyed. One of the most powerful verses on this is found in 2 Peter. I'm just going to read this one for you as well. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10 where the Bible says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. What's going to happen in that day? Well, it says in the which," In other words, in that day, the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are in it shall be burned up. The Bible says that when Jesus returns, the wicked will be destroyed here on the surface of the earth. And then it goes on to say, as we read earlier from Revelation 20 and verse 5, the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years came to an end. And so what happens to the people when Jesus returns? It's really quite simple. The righteous who are alive are resurrected and meet Jesus in the air. The righteous who are alive, they simply meet Jesus in the air along with the righteous who were resurrected and then go to heaven. The wicked who are alive are destroyed by fire. I mean, let's face it, if the surface of this earth turns to molten lava, that is is an event that no one's going to survive on this planet. And then the Bible says the wicked who are dead will remain dead until the end of the thousand years. Very simply what we find is the Bible describes an event in which the entire earth is depopulated of all living inhabitants. The righteous are in heaven and the wicked are dead on earth. There are a number of passages that describe the earth during this time period and you must remember that in the lead up to these events, we have the seven last plagues falling. Just one of those plagues talks about the mountain ranges disappearing, the islands being moved out of their places. These are cataclysmic events like we have never, ever seen before that will destroy everything on planet Earth. Hailstones the size of watermelons raining out of the sky. Jeremiah, chapter 5, chapter 4. The Bible describes what our earth will look like After Jesus returns. Verse 23. The Bible says, I looked at the earth and it was without form and void and the heavens had no light. I looked at the mountains and they trembled and all of the hills moved. I'd say the aftershocks are going to continue for a very long time from that big earthquake that happens just before Jesus comes back. Verse 25, I looked and there was no man, not a single human being on the planet. And all the birds of the heavens had fled. I looked and the fruitful place was a wilderness and all the cities were broken down at the presence of the Lord and by his fierce anger. The Bible describes the earth in a time when it is completely depopulated of all living inhabitants. There is nobody left here and everything has been destroyed. And what I find most interesting is the way in which the Bible describes planet earth after Jesus comes back. Did you catch that? I looked at the earth and It was without form and void. What is God doing here? Well, if you go back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, can't get much closer to the beginning of the Bible than that. The Bible says in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. What is God doing? God is taking out earth and he is taking it back to scratch. He's going to start over from where he began in the first place, taking it back to the same condition it was when it was without form and void. Now, what is most interesting here? And I want you to think about this. The Bible says the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. The Greek word used there to describe deep is the word abyssos or abyss. And guess where else in the Bible you will find that same word? It's found in Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. And this is going to help us to understand what happens to Satan during the 1,000 years. Revelation chapter 20. And the Bible says, saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit, the abyssos, the abyss. Well, the Bible describes our world in a destroyed condition as being the bottomless pit. Many people wonder, where is this bottomless pit? Is it in some vast, dark corner of the universe somewhere? No, it's right here. And the reason it is right here is because our world is the only place in the universe that has accepted Satan. Therefore, our world is the only place place that Satan can go. Just like when we describe a portion of planet Earth that we seriously dislike as being a bit of a hole, the Bible describes our Earth in its destroyed condition as being the bottomless pit. Satan is trapped here. He has nowhere else to go. But being trapped here, he also has nothing to do. He's placed in solitary confinement. You know, Satan has been trying to get rulership of our world for the last 6,000 years. And eventually, God's like, okay, you can have the world. Here it is. Take it. There's nothing there. What are you going to do now? And the reason that God does that is because if Satan did have full control of our world, he would kill every single person on the planet, and God gives it to him in the condition that he would create anyway. The Bible says, "Laid a chain on him, chain him up and threw him into the bottomless pit. We need to understand what kind of chain is that? How do you chain up a spirit being? Well, the answer is really quite simple. It's given to us here in this verse, in verse three, the Bible says, so that he could deceive the nations no more. The purpose for binding Satan is to stop him from deceiving. And the means of doing that is by simply removing the people. He is here in the bottomless pit for a thousand years in solitary confinement on a cold, dead planet. That is Satan's fate, but it's not the end of the story. The Bible continues on and the Bible describes what happens during the 1000 years. And this is where it starts to become important. I saw thrones and they sat upon them. Verse four, judgment was given to them. I saw the souls of those who were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark on their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Notice here the Bible speaks of a work of judgment that takes place during this period. Paul speaks about it when he says, Don't you know that you will even judge angels? Now we have to stop and ask ourselves, why would there need to be another judgment? Why would the righteous need to be involved in that judgment? Well, the answer is very simple. God wants to bring about a system that will guarantee that sin will never return and at the same time preserve freedom of choice because only as he preserves the freedom to sin can love exist. But how do you ensure it never comes back? Well, God ensures it never comes back by holding a judgment. He knows who's saved, who's lost. He doesn't need to figure that out. But he holds a judgment in heaven in open court so that the entire universe has no question in their mind as to the righteousness, justice and perfection of the love of God. But there's one disadvantage of that. You see, he has to do that before he comes back to this earth and saves some people and condemns others. But we're not able to be there right now. The judgment is taking place right now. We can't be there. We can't see what's going on. So what does God do? Well, just like on an earthly court system, there is a process or an opportunity of review or appeal. And when we get to heaven, God opens up the books of judgment again. And there might be some surprises there. We might think, well, where is that person that we thought was the most righteous person we'd ever come across? Why aren't they here? God surely has been unfair. And he's able to open up the books of record and show exactly what is taking place. I think there'll be some good surprises too. When we meet people there, we were certainly not expecting to meet. And they can share their testimony, their story. And God can as well. The story of their conversion experience and accepting Jesus Christ. You see that way those who live for eternity will never have a doubt anywhere, not one tiny seed that could ever germinate that God is anything but merciful, loving, and just. The story doesn't finish there at the end of the thousand years. What happens? The Bible says the end of the thousand years the rest of the dead did not live it again until the end of the thousand years. But at the end of the thousand years we find a change taking place in verse seven, when the thousand years are expired. Satan is set free out of his prison. Well, how does that happen? If Satan was imprisoned by removing the people so that he could deceive them no more, then he is set free by returning the people that he can deceive. That is clearly going to be the wicked because you can't deceive the righteous. He goes out to deceive the nations which are on the four quarters of the earth. That's the resurrection of damnation right there. To gather them together to battle the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And some people say, how can you deceive people who are already lost? He's not deceiving them in relationship to their salvation. He is deceiving them in relationship to the city, the new Jerusalem that God has made. You see, the Bible describes the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven at the end of the thousand years. I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And so the New Jerusalem comes down to this earth. The resurrection of the wicked takes place. Suddenly Satan is free. Suddenly he has people that he can deceive again. And he says, let's take the city. We outnumber them. Let's take it by force. The Bible says in verse 9, they went up. On the surface of the earth, and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. After giving that abbreviated verse, God then steps back and gives some more detail as to what actually takes place when they surround the city. You see, this is Lot God's last great act in ensuring that sin never comes back again. It says, I saw a great white throne. This is as they gather around the city. And I saw him that sat upon it, whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. There's no place down for them. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And so as they come up on the surface of the earth and surround the city with Satan at their head, suddenly the books are opened. God appears, the books are opened. Their plans for taking that city pretty much come to an end at that particular point. And this is their opportunity to say anything in their own defense. If God at any point has got anything wrong, God gives them the opportunity to stand up and say, hey, I deserve to be inside that city. You got this wrong. The Bible says they were judged out of the books. That were out of the things that were written in the books according to the works. The sea gave up the dead which were in it, death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. They were judged every man according to their works. The Bible says that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that event is only ever possible at one time in history. And that is the one time in history when every person who has ever lived is alive in one place at one time. That's at the end of the thousand years. And when the wicked who have been raised back to life and given their opportunity to say something in their defense bow on their knees and confess, no, Jesus, you are Lord, you are right, you are 100% correct and accurate in everything you say. That last act where the wicked pronounce judgment on themselves is the last act in ensuring that sin never, ever, ever returns again. God has crossed every T. He has dotted Every eye. He has left no stone unturned, no shred of doubt anywhere. Everyone has had their opportunity to plead their case and to state their position. And then the Bible says that fire came down from heaven and devoured them. You see, friends, this is God's master plan for getting rid of sin so that it never, ever returns again. The Bible says the death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. Never going to need those things again. The Bible describes this as the second death. Whoever was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. And you might be wondering, well, what happens after that? What is the next great event to take place? In fact, many of you have been asking me on social media, what happens after that? Well, here comes the answer in the very next verse. It says, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. You know, when I read that verse right there, this is something that I want to experience. I want to be there on that great day, don't you? You see, for the righteous who are inside the city, there will be an opportunity to watch as God recreates our planet. The righteous are in the city. The city is on earth. The wicked have been destroyed. The Bible says that they are turned to ash. And I know Charissa is going to have some more to say about that subject in our next presentation. But the Bible says the wicked will return to ash, but then God will begin to recreate. Imagine being there, standing up on a high place in the city where you've got a good view and God's saying, "Yeah, let there be grass and there's grass everywhere. Let there be trees and there's trees everywhere Let's have some rivers and there's rivers and then there's fish in the rivers. Let's have some oceans over here and there's, the Bible says no more sea, but you know, large bodies of water with large fish in them. Let's have some birds and sh- 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 they suddenly go flying past. Place yourself in that situation for a moment, and imagine God recreating this planet. Let's have some animals to go running around, and some insects buzzing around and not biting you. Won't that be amazing? The Bible goes on to say that we'll go out from the city, that we will build our own country estates, that we will plant our own gardens, and that we will long enjoy the fruits of our labor. And you know, we live in a universe that is inex- inexhaustible in its possibility to Possibilities to explore. What great things God has made available to us. As we come to the end of this subject, I want to appeal to you. Where will you be on that day? What a tragedy it would be to wake up outside the city, to walk up to that city whose walls are as clear as crystal, the Bible says. To look inside and maybe see inside someone that you loved and that cared for you and that prayed for you. I wish I could paint that in the most graphic image possible so that you could realise the horror of losing out on such a grand event and the joy of being inside the city with Jesus Christ, the person who who loved you, the person who created you, the person who gave his life for you. Jesus offers us the opportunity to come to him today. Won't you make a decision for Jesus today? If your decision for Jesus today is to give your life fully and completely to him, if you want to say, I want to be inside that city, then you have an opportunity to make that decision right now. There's a phone number on your screen. Simply text the word YES. Yes, I want to be ready for Jesus to come back. I want to be inside the city. Simply text the word YES to that phone number right there and we will know you've made a decision for Jesus Christ. We want to get in contact with everybody who makes a decision. We're going to do our best to support every single person that gives their life to Jesus Christ. You can also just simply pop your comments in the comment section below. If you're watching on social media, then there is a comment section right there. And just type in a yes. Yes, I want to be inside the city. Friends, I want to be inside the city. And when I'm inside the city, I want to meet you there. And if we don't meet here on this earth, why don't we make an agreement together that you and I will meet together in that great city one day. May God bless you all. been listening to The End. For more information about this program or any of this show's free offers, visit www.theend.digital.